Section three of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew. Volume one. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk. Part three. The London Street Markets on a Saturday night. The street sellers are to be seen in the greatest numbers at the London Street Markets on a Saturday night. Here, and in the shops immediately adjoining, the working classes generally purchase their Sunday's dinner, and after pay-time on Saturday night, or early on Sunday morning, the crowd in the new cut, and the brill in particular, is almost impassable. Indeed, the scene in these parts has more of the character of a fair than a market. There are hundreds of stalls, and every stall has its one or two lights. Either it is illuminated by the intense white light of the new self-generating gas-lamp, or else it is brightened up by the red smoky flame of the old-fashioned grease-lamp. One man shows off his yellow haddock with a candle stuck in a bundle of firewood. His neighbour makes a candlestick out of a huge turnip, and the tallow gutters over its sides, while the boy shouting, Eight a penny! Stunning pears! has rolled his dip in a thick coat of brown paper that flares away with the candle. Some stalls are crimson with the fire shining through the holes beneath the baked chestnut stove. Others have handsome octahedral lamps, while a few have a candle shining through a sieve. These, with the sparkling ground-glass globes of the tea-dealers' shops, and the butcher's gas-lights streaming and fluttering in the wind like flags of flame, pour forth such a flood of light that, at a distance, the atmosphere immediately above the spot is as lurid as if the street were on fire. The pavement and the road are crowded with purchasers and street-sellers. The housewife, in her thick shawl with the market-basket on her arm, walks slowly on, stopping now to look at the stall of caps, and now to cheapen a bunch of greens. Little boys, holding three or four onions in their hand, creep between the people, wriggling their way through every interstice, and asking for custom in whining tones as if seeking charity. Then the tumult of the thousand different cries of the eager dealers, all shouting at the top of their voices at one and the same time, is almost bewildering. "'Sold again!' roars one. "'Chestnuts all lot! A penny a score!' bawls another. "'An apney a skin, blacking!' squeaks a boy. "'Bye, bye, 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 bye!' Bye, cries the butcher. Half quire of paper for a penny, bellows the street stationer. An apney a lot, ingans. Tuppence a pound, grapes. Three a penny, Yarmouth bloaters. Who'll buy a bonnet for fourpence? Pick em out cheap here. Three pair for a halfpenny, bootlaces. Now's your time. Beautiful whelks, a penny a lot. Here's hapeths, shouts the perambulating confectioner. Come and look at em. Here's toasters bellows one with a yarmouth bloater stuck on a toasting fork penny a lot fine russets calls the apple woman and so the babel goes on one man stands with his red-edged mats hanging over his back and chest like a herald's coat and the girl with her basket of walnuts lifts her brown-stained fingers to her mouth as she screams fine walnuts sixteen a penny fine walnuts a bootmaker, to ensure custom, has illuminated his shop-front with a line of gas, and in its full glare stands a blind beggar, his eyes turned up so as to show only the whites, and mumbling some begging rhymes, 
that are drowned in the shrill notes of the bamboo flute-player next to him. The boy's sharp cry, the woman's cracked voice, the gruff, hoarse shout of the man are all mingled together. Sometimes an Irishman is heard with his fine-eating apples, or else the jingling music of an unseen organ breaks out, as the trio of street-singers rest between the verses. Then the sights, as you elbow your way through the crowd, are equally multifarious. Here is a stall glittering with new tin saucepans, there another bright with its blue and yellow crockery, and sparkling with white glass. Now you come to a row of old shoes arranged along the pavement, now to a stand of gaudy tea-trays, then to a shop with red handkerchiefs and blue checked shirts fluttering backwards and forwards, and a counter built up outside on the curb, behind which are boys beseeching custom. At the door of a tea-shop, with its hundred white globes of light, stands a man delivering bills, thanking the public for past favours and defying competition. Here, alongside the road, are some half-dozen headless tailor's dummies, dressed in Chesterfields and fustian jackets, each labelled, Look at the prices! or Observe the quality! After this is a butcher's shop, crimson and white with meat piled up to the first floor, in front of which the butcher himself, in his blue coat, walks up and down, sharpening his knife on the steel that hangs to his waist. A little further on stands the clean family, begging, the father with his head down as if in shame, and a box of lucifers held forth in his hand, the boys in newly washed pinafores, and the tidily got-up mother with a child at her breast. This stall is green and white with bunches of turnips, that red with apples, the next yellow with onions, and another purple with pickling cabbages. One minute you pass a man with an umbrella turned inside up, and full of prints. The next, you hear one with a peep-show of Mazeppa and Paul Jones the pirate, describing the pictures to the boys looking in at the little round windows. Then is heard the sharp snap of the percussion cap from the crowd of lads firing at the target for nuts, and the moment afterwards you see either a black man half-clad in white and shivering in the cold with tracts in his hand, or else you hear the sounds of music from Frazier's Circus on the other side of the road, and the man outside the door of the penny concert, beseeching you to be in time, be in time, as Mr. Somebody is just about to sing his favourite song of the Knife Grinder. Such, indeed, is the riot, the struggle, and the scramble for a living, that the confusion and uproar of the new cut on a Saturday night have a bewildering and saddening effect upon the thoughtful mind. Each salesman tries his utmost to sell his wares, tempting the passers-by with his bargains. The boy with his stock of herbs offers a double handful of fine parsley for a penny. The man with the donkey-cart filled with turnips has three lads to shout for him to their utmost, with their, Oh, oh, hi, hi, what do you think of this here? A penny a bunch, hurrah, for free trade. Here's your turnips. Until it is seen and heard, we have no sense of the scramble that is going on throughout London for a living. The same scene takes place at the Brill, the same in Leather Lane, the same in Tottenham Court Road, the same in Whitecross Street. Go to whatever corner of the metropolis you please, either on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, 
and there is the same shouting and the same struggling to get the penny profit out of the poor man's Sunday dinner. Since the above description was written, the new cut has lost much of its noisy and brilliant glory. In consequence of a new police regulation, stands or pitches have been forbidden, and each coster on a market night is now obliged under pain of the lock-up house to carry his tray or keep moving with his barrow. The gay stalls have been replaced by deal boards, some sodden with wet fish, others stained purple with blackberries, or brown with walnut peel, and the bright lamps are almost totally superseded by the dim, guttering candle. Even if the pole under the tray, or shallow, is seen resting on the ground, the policeman on duty is obliged to interfere. The mob of purchasers has diminished one-half, and instead of the road being filled with customers and trucks, the pavement and curbstones are scarcely crowded. THE SUNDAY MORNING MARKETS Nearly every poor man's market does its Sunday trade. For a few hours on the Sabbath morning, the noise, bustle, and scramble of the Saturday night are repeated, and but for this opportunity many a poor family would pass a dinner-less Sunday. The system of paying the mechanic late on the Saturday night, and more particularly of paying a man his wages in a public house, when he is tired with his day's work, lures him to the tavern, and there the hours fly quickly enough beside the warm tap-room fire, so that by the time the wife comes for her husband's wages she finds a large portion of them gone in drink, and the streets half cleared, so that the Sunday market is the only chance of getting the Sunday's dinner. Of all these Sunday morning markets, the brill, perhaps, furnishes the busiest scene, so that it may be taken as a type of the whole. The streets in the neighbourhood are quiet and empty, the shops are closed with their different coloured shutters, and the people round about are dressed in the shiny cloth of the holiday suits. There are no cabs, and but few omnibuses to disturb the rest, and men walk in the road as safely as on the footpath. As you enter the brill the market sounds are scarcely heard, but at each step the low hum grows gradually into the noisy shouting, until at last the different cries become distinct, and the hubbub, din, and confusion of a thousand voices bellowing at once again fill the air. The road and footpath are crowded, as on the overnight. The men are standing in groups, smoking and talking, whilst the women run to and fro, some with the white round turnips showing out of their filled aprons, others with cabbages under their arms, and a piece of red meat dangling from their hands. Only a few of the shops are closed, but the butchers and the coal-shed are filled with customers, and from the door of the shut-up bakers the women come streaming forth with bags of flour in their hands, while men sally from the halfpenny barbers, smoothing their clean-shaved chins. Walnuts, blacking, apples, onions, braces, combs, turnips, herrings, pens, and corn-plasters are all bellowed out at the same time. Labourers and mechanics, still unshorn and undressed, hang about with their hands in their pockets, some with their pet terriers under their arms. The pavement is green, with the refuse leaves of vegetables, and round a cabbage-barrow the women stand, turning over the bunches, as the man shouts, "'Where you like, only a penny!' 
boys are running home with the breakfast herring held in a piece of paper and the side pocket of the apple man's stuff coat hangs down with the weight of the halfpence stored within it presently the tolling of the neighbouring church bells breaks forth then the bustle doubles itself the cries grow louder the confusion greater women run about and push their way through the throng scolding the saunterers for in half an hour the market will close in a little time the butcher puts up his shutters and leaves the door still open the policemen in their clean gloves come round and drive the street sellers before them and as the clock strikes eleven the market finishes and the sunday's rest begins the following is a list of the street markets and the number of costers usually attending markets on the surrey side newcut lambeth three hundred lambeth walk one hundred and four walworth road twenty two camberwell fifteen newington forty five kent street borough thirty eight bermondsey one hundred and seven union street borough twenty nine great suffolk street forty six blackfriars road fifty eight total seven hundred and sixty four markets on the middlesex side brill and chapel street somers town three hundred camden town fifty hampstead road and tottenham court road three hundred and thirty three st george's market oxford street one hundred and seventy seven marylebone thirty seven edgware road seventy eight crawford street one hundred and forty five knightsbridge forty six pimlico thirty two tothill street and broadway westminster one hundred and nineteen drury lane thirty two clare street one hundred and thirty nine exmouth street and aylesbury street clerkenwell one hundred and forty two leather lane one hundred and fifty st john's street forty seven old street st luke's forty six whitecross street cripplegate one hundred and fifty islington seventy nine city road forty nine shoreditch one hundred bethnal green one hundred whitechapel two hundred and fifty eight mile end one hundred and five commercial road east one hundred and fourteen limehouse eighty eight ratscliffe highway one hundred and twenty two rosemary lane one hundred and nineteen total three thousand one hundred and forty seven we find from the foregoing list of markets held in the various thoroughfares of the metropolis that there are ten on the surrey side and twenty-seven on the middlesex side of the thames the total number of hucksters attending these markets is three thousand nine hundred and eleven giving an average of a hundred and five to each market habits and amusements of costermongers i find it impossible to separate these two headings for the habits of the costermonger are not domestic his busy life is passed in the markets or the streets and as his leisure is devoted to the beer-shop the dancing-room or the theatre we must look for his habits to his demeanour at those places home has few attractions to a man whose life is a street life even those who are influenced by family ties and affections prefer to home indeed that word is rarely mentioned among them the conversation warmth and merriment of the beer-shop where they can take their ease among their mates excitement or amusement are indispensable to uneducated men 
of beer-shops resorted to by costermongers and principally supported by them, it is computed that there are four hundred in London. Those who meet first in the beer-shop talk over the state of trade and of the markets, while the later comers enter at once into what may be styled the serious business of the evening, amusement. Business topics are discussed in a most peculiar style. One man takes the pipe from his mouth and says, Bill made a Dugano hit this morning. Jem, says another, to a man just entering, you'll stand atop a reeb. On, answers Jem, I've had a Traseno toll, and have been doing dab. For an explanation of what may be obscure in this dialogue, I must refer my readers to my remarks concerning the language of the class. If any strangers are present, the conversation is still further clothed in slang, so as to be unintelligible even to the partially initiated. The evident puzzlement of any listener is, of course, gratifying to the costermonger's vanity, for he feels that he possesses a knowledge peculiarly his own. Among the indoor amusements of the costermonger is card-playing, at which many of them are adepts. The usual games are all fours, all fives, cribbage, and put. Whist is known to a few, but is never played, being considered dull and slow. Of short whist they have not heard. But, says one, whom I questioned on the subject, if it's come into fashion, it'll soon be among us. The play is usually for beer, but the game is rendered exciting by bets, both among the players and the lookers-on. I'll back Jem for a Yanapassine, says one. Jack for again, cries another. A penny is the lowest sum laid, and five shillings generally the highest, but a shilling is not often exceeded. We play fair among ourselves, said a costermonger to me. Ay, fairer than the aristocrats, but we'll take in any one else. Where it is known that the landlord will not supply cards, a sporting coster carries a pack or two with him. The cards played with have rarely been stamped. They are generally dirty, and sometimes almost illegible from long handling and spilled beer. Some men will sit patiently for hours at these games, and they watch the dealing round of the dingy cards intently, and without the attempt, common among politer gamesters, to appear indifferent, though they bear their losses well. In a room full of card-players the groups are all shrouded in tobacco-smoke, and from them are heard constant sounds, according to the games they are engaged in, of I'm low and peds high, tip and me's game, fifteen-four and a flash of five. I may remark it is curious that costermongers who can neither read nor write, and who have no knowledge of the multiplication table, are skilful in all the intricacies and calculations of cribbage. There is not much quarrelling over the cards unless strangers play with them, and then the costermongers all take part one with another, fairly or unfairly. It has been said that there is a close resemblance between many of the characteristics of a very high class, socially, and a very low class. Those who remember the disclosures on a trial a few years back, as to how men of rank and wealth passed their leisure in card-playing, many of their lives being one continued leisure, can judge how far the analogy holds when the card passion of the costermongers is described. Shove halfpenny is another game played by them, as is three up. Three halfpennies are thrown up, and when they fall all heads or all tails, it is a mark, and the man who gets the greatest number of marks out of a given amount, three or five or more, wins. 
Three-up is played fairly among the costermongers, but is most frequently resorted to when strangers are present to make a pitch, which is, in plain words, to cheat any stranger who is rash enough to bet upon them. "'This is the way, sir,' said an adept to me. "'Bless you, I can make them fall as I please. If I'm playing with Joe, and a stranger bets with Joe, why, of course, I'll make Joe win.' This adept illustrated his skill to me by throwing up three halfpennies and five times out of six they fell upon the floor, whether he threw them nearly to the ceiling or merely to his shoulder, all heads or all tails. The halfpence were the proper current coins. Indeed, they were my own, and the result is gained by a peculiar position of the coins on the fingers, and a peculiar jerk in the throwing. There was an amusing manifestation of the pride of art in the way in which my obliging informant displayed his skill. Skittles is another favourite amusement, and the costermongers class themselves among the best players in London. The game is always for beer, but betting goes on. A fondness for sparring and boxing lingers among the rude members of some classes of the working men, such as the tanners. With the great majority of the costermongers this fondness is still as dominant as it was among the higher classes, when boxers were the pets of princes and nobles. The sparring among the costers is not for money, but for beer and a lark, a convenient word covering much mischief. Two out of every ten landlords, whose houses are patronised by these lovers of the art of self-defence, supply gloves. Some charge tuppence a night for their use, others only a penny. The sparring seldom continues long, sometimes not above a quarter of an hour, for the costermongers, though excited for a while, weary of sports in which they cannot personally participate, and in the beer-shops only two spar at a time, though fifty or sixty may be present. The shortness of the duration of this pastime may be one reason why it seldom leads to quarrelling. The stake is usually a top of reeb, and the winner is the man who gives the first noser. A bloody nose, however, is required to show that the blow was veritably a noser. The costermongers boast of their skill in pugilism as well as at skittles. "'We're all handy with our fists,' said one man, "'and our matches, ay, and more than matches, for anybody but regular boxers. We've stuck to the ring, too, and gone regular to the fights, more than any other men.' Tuppany hops are much resorted to by the costermongers, men and women, boys and girls. At these dances decorum is sometimes, but not often, violated. The women, I was told by one man, doesn't show their necks, as I've seen the ladies do in them their pictures of high life in the shop windows, or on the stage. Their Sunday gowns, which is their dancing gowns, ain't made that way. At these hops the clog hornpipe is often danced, and sometimes a collection is made to ensure the performance of a first-rate professor of that dance. Sometimes, and more frequently, it is volunteered gratuitously. The other dances are jigs, flash jigs, hornpipes in fetters, a dance rendered popular by the success of the acted Jack Shepherd, polkas and country dances, the last mentioned being generally demanded by the women. Waltzes are as yet unknown to them. Sometimes they do the pipe dance. For this, a number of tobacco pipes, about a dozen, are laid close together on the floor, and the dancer places the toe of his boot between the different pipes, keeping time with the music. Two of the pipes are arranged as a cross, and the toe has to be inserted between each of the angles without breaking them. 
the numbers present at these hops vary from thirty to one hundred of both sexes their ages being from fourteen to forty-five and the female sex being slightly predominant as to the proportion of those in attendance at these hops there is nothing of the leisurely style of dancing half a glide and half a skip but vigorous laborious capering the hours are from half-past eight to twelve sometimes to one or two in the morning and never later than two as the costermongers are early risers there is sometimes a good deal of drinking some of the young girls being often pressed to drink and frequently yielding to the temptation from one pound to seven pounds is spent in drink at a hop the youngest men or lads present spend the most especially in that act of costermonger politeness treating the gals the music is always a fiddle sometimes with the addition of a harp and a cornopean the band is provided by the costermongers to whom the assembly is confined but during the present and the last year when the costers earnings have been less than the average the landlord has provided the harp whenever that instrument has added to the charms of the fiddle of one use to which these hops are put i have given an account under the head of marriage the other amusements of this class of the community are the theatre and the penny concert and their visits are almost entirely confined to the galleries of the theatres on the surrey side the surrey the victoria the bower saloon and but less frequently astley's three times a week is an average attendance at theatres and dances by the more prosperous costermongers the most intelligent man i met with among them gave me the following account he classes himself with the many but his tastes are really those of an educated man love and murder suits us best sir but within these few years i think there's a great deal more liking for deep tragedies among us they set men a-thinking but then we all consider them too long of hamlet we can make neither end nor side and nine out of ten of us why far more than that would like it to be confined to the ghost scenes and the funeral and the killing off at the last macbeth would be better liked if it was only the witches and the fighting the high words in a tragedy we call jawbreakers and we say we can't tumble to that barracan we always stay to the last because we've paid for it all or very few costers would see a tragedy out if any money was returned to those leaving after two or three acts we're fond of music nigger music was very much liked among us but it's stale now flash songs are liked and sailors songs and patriotic songs most costers indeed i can't call to mind an exception listen very quietly to songs that they don't in the least understand we have among us translations of the patriotic french songs mourir pour la patrie is very popular and so is the marseillaise a song to take hold of us must have a good chorus they like something sir that is worth hearing said one of my informants such as the soldier's dream the dream of napoleon or i had a dream an happy dream the songs in ridicule of marshal hainaut and in laudation of barclay and perkins draymen were and are very popular among the costers but none are more popular than paul jones a noble commander paul jones was his name among them the chorus of britons never shall be slaves is often rendered britons always shall be slaves the most popular of all songs with the class however is duck-legged dick of which i give the first verse duck-legged dick had a donkey and his lush loved much for to swill one day he got rather lumpy 
and got sent seven days to the mill. His donkey was taken to the green yard, a fate which he never deserved. Oh, it was such a regular mean yard that, alas, the poor moke got starved. Oh, bad luck can't be prevented. Fortune she smiles or she frowns. He's best off that's contented to mix, sirs, the ups and the downs. Their sports are enjoyed the more if they are dangerous, and require both courage and dexterity to succeed in them. They prefer, if crossing a bridge, to climb over the parapet and walk along on the stone coping. When a house is building, rows of costalads will climb up the long ladders, leaning against the unslated roof, and then slide down again, each one resting on the other's shoulders. A peep-show with a battle scene is sure of its costa attendance, and a favourite pastime is fighting with cheap theatrical swords. They are, however, true to each other, and should a costa, who is the hero of his court, fall ill and go to a hospital, the whole of the inhabitants of his quarter will visit him on the Sunday, and take him presents of various articles, so that he may live well. Among the men, rat-killing is a favourite sport. They will enter an old stable, fasten the door, and then turn out the rats. Or they will find some unfrequented yard, and at night-time build up a pit with apple-case boards, and lighting up their lamps, enjoy the sport. Nearly every coster is fond of dogs. Some fancy them greatly, and are proud of making them fight. If, when out working, they see a handsome stray, whether he is a toy or sporting dog, they whip him up, many of the class not being very particular whether the animals are stray or not. Their dog-fights are both cruel and frequent. It is not uncommon to see a lad walking, with the trembling legs of a dog shivering under a bloody handkerchief that covers the bitten and wounded body of an animal that has been figuring at some match. These fights take place on the sly, the taproom or backyard of a beer-shop being generally chosen for the purpose. A few men are let into the secret, and they attend to bet upon the winner, the police being carefully kept from the spot. Pigeons are fancied to a large extent and are kept in lath cages on the roofs of the houses. The lads look upon a visit to the Red House, Battersea, where the pigeon-shooting takes place, as a great treat. They stand without the hoarding that encloses the ground, and watch for the wounded pigeons to fall, when a violent scramble takes place among them, each bird being valued at threepence or fourpence. So popular has this sport become, that some boys take dogs with them, trained to retrieve the birds, and two Lambeth costers attend regularly after their morning's work, with their guns, to shoot those that escape the shots within. A good pugilist is looked up to with great admiration by the costers, and fighting is considered to be a necessary part of a boy's education. Among them, cowardice in any shape is despised as being degrading and loathsome. Indeed, the man who would avoid a fight is scouted by the whole of the court he lives in. Hence it is important for a lad and even a girl, to know how to work their fists well, as expert boxing is called among them. If a coster man or woman is struck, they are obliged to fight. When a quarrel takes place between two boys, a ring is formed, and the men urge them on to have it out, for they hold that it is a wrong thing to stop a battle, as it causes bad blood for life, whereas if the lads fight it out, they shake hands and forget all about it. Everybody practices fighting, and the man who has the largest and hardest muscle is spoken of in terms of the highest commendation. 
it is often said in admiration of such a man that he could muzzle half a dozen bobbies before breakfast to serve out a policeman is the bravest act by which a costermonger can distinguish himself some lads have been imprisoned upwards of a dozen times for this offence and are consequently looked upon by their companions as martyrs when they leave prison for such an act a subscription is often got up for their benefit in their continual warfare with the force they resemble many savage nations from the cunning and treachery they use the lads endeavour to take the unsuspecting crusher by surprise and often crouch at the entrance of a court until a policeman passes when a stone or a brick is hurled at him and the youngster immediately disappears their love of revenge too is extreme their hatred being in no way mitigated by time they will wait for months following a policeman who has offended or wronged them anxiously looking out for an opportunity of paying back the injury one boy i was told vowed vengeance against a member of the force and for six months never allowed the man to escape his notice at length one night he saw the policeman in a row outside a public house and running into the crowd kicked him savagely shouting at the same time now you be blank i've got you at last when the boy heard that his persecutor was injured for life his joy was very great and he declared the twelve months imprisonment he was sentenced to for the offence to be dirt cheap the whole of the court where the lad resided sympathized with the boy and vowed to a man that had he escaped they would have subscribed a pad or two of dry herrings to send him into the country until the affair had blown over for he had shown himself a plucky one it is called plucky to bear pain without complaining to flinch from expected suffering is scorned and he who does so is sneered at and told to wear a gown as being more fit to be a woman to show a disregard for pain a lad when without money will say to his pal give us a penny and you may have a punch at my nose they also delight in tattooing their chests and arms with anchors and figures of different kinds during the whole of this painful operation the boy will not flinch but laugh and joke with his admiring companions as if perfectly at ease End of section 3